Hello, everyone. This is Fire Chief Paul Dow with Albuquerque Fire Rescue. Now, this podcast is designed to bring you helpful training and best practices and some additional resources that you can access from anywhere. So thank you for joining us and enjoy today's episode. Alarm room 2, engine 19, rescue 19, engine 19, rescue 19. Respond out to Fantasy World, 5000 Jefferson Street, Northeast. Responding out to 30 Delta 5, 22-year-old female, conscious and breathing, fell off the stage and impelled her own abdomen with her high heel. 30 Delta 5, Fantasy World, 5000 Jefferson Street, Northeast, engine 15, rescue 15. Hello and welcome to another episode of the AFR podcast. Once again, Dr. Pruitt's with me. Hey, Doc, how are you doing today? Andrew, I'm good. All right, thanks for coming again. Everybody, we're right in the middle of a a trauma series. So we did a respiratory series a while ago, and now we're going to be recording a trauma one, breaking it down by different regions of the body. So, so far we've done a burn one, bleeding control, chest trauma, and today we're going to be talking about abdominal trauma. So my First question for you, Doc, is starting uh, just right with the change in the guidelines. So we used to not have it broken down into these categories. It was more penetrating trauma, blunt trauma. So what was the thought behind changing the guidelines up? I think the idea behind just adding a couple more specific areas of trauma just gives people more considerations to think about when you're approaching a patient. Um, Helps you kind of focus your exam and uh, hopefully is a tool to help yeah, and, and not just more memorization. There's a little more considerations in there for, for each uh, specific head injuries. I think there's one on extremity injuries. So, and, and it, we're going to be going over all these in this series. So yeah, it just gives you a little bit more considerations to think about as you're going through. All right. So starting off again, we're, we're t- talking about the abdomen here. I guess the first thing we need to know about is what's in the abdomen and where where is everything located? Yeah, it always, always comes back to anatomy, right? Um, so it's a good place to start with any talk, especially about trauma. Um, the way I like to approach the abdomen is pretty much the classic way. There's four quadrants, right? The right upper quadrant, probably your big thing you need to think about there would be the liver, maybe the gallbladder. The left upper quadrant, you've got your stomach, and really the big one when we're talking about trauma would be the spleen. Uh, diffusely across the abdomen, you obviously have the bowels. Lower quadrants really aren't that pertinent when we're talking about trauma, but really the flanks are important because on the right and the left side, in the posterior aspect, you have your kidneys. Okay, and you said the lower quadrants. Um, when Think about like maybe a gunshot wound though, I know there's a lot of uh, vessels running through there. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So uh, the aorta, as it comes off the heart and transverses uh, through the abdomen, bifurcates about the level of the the belly button into the iliac arteries. And so you have some major vessels going through the pelvis and into the upper legs. That's an excellent point. Um, Always consider vascular injury as well. Okay. Um, you mentioned the liver and the spleen, so can you talk about those two organs and then any kind of uh, injury to them and what's that going to do to the patient? Yeah, so our general approach to trauma, how we have talked about before with blunt and with penetrating trauma, uh, the two different types of categories, solid organs, when they experience any kind of trauma, usually like a compressive force or a crushing injury, Um, which you'll see most commonly with abdominal trauma and uh, motor vehicle accidents, solid organs tend to 
be to bleed. Um, they're prone to what we call like fracture or laceration. They're engorged with blood. That's their job. They're essentially filters. But because they're solid, whenever there's any kind of compression, think of it just like a watermelon. Like they can just basically explode or crack depending on the amount of the force and lead to massive hemorrhage. Um, whereas hollow organs like the bowels or the, the duodenum specifically, the bladder, um, the gallbladder, anything that's got potential to have some air in it, that tends to kind of pop just like a lung would. Like instead of a pneumothorax, you get pneumoperitoneum inside the, the abdomen. So depending on the, the makeup of the anatomical structures in the stomach depends how they're going to react to different kinds of trauma. Okay, so you think the, the liver, actually you were saying the liver and the spleen, those are going to be two causes of you know bleeding out. Massive hemorrhage. So, Massive hemorrhage. so really those are the two big ones you need to think about like in the very emergent setting, that's going to cause patients to become immediately unstable. Like maybe a bowel perforation or bladder perforation, that's not going to be an immediate risk. That's more of kind of an infectious risk a little bit later, but the ones that we need to worry about in the pre-hospital setting would be that massive hemorrhage inside the abdomen, usually due to liver or spleen injuries. Okay, and if the patient's conscious and can tell you where they're hurting, I'm sure you could you know, be suspicious. Like you said, the right upper quadrant or left upper quadrant, depending, can help figure out what's going on, but what if they're unconscious? What are some clues that there might be that massive hemorrhage. So if you've on. got an unconscious hemorrhage, I always, you know, your vital signs are vital. So go by what your vital signs are telling you. If you've got a tachycardic and hypotensive patient with the right mechanism, you need to suspect that they're bleeding somewhere. Um, but other clues would be obviously any penetrating injury. So you have to expose your patient, look at the front and the back um, and the groin as well to see if anything's penetrating. And then secondarily, if you start to see bruising or distension, like maybe a seatbelt sign um, is a good indicator. Or ecchymosis anywhere with a rigid, tender abdomen, that's a patient that potentially has massive hemorrhage and needs to get to the hospital. And how, how quick is that onset gonna be? Is it, with uh, the bruising? Yeah. That tends to develop over time. Um, sometimes, if it's immediate, you need to have a higher level of concern because um, that was a more severe mechanism um, but it's it's completely possible we're going to see that right away if it's severe enough bleeding that we're going to show up and we could all already see that bruising. Some blood beginning to pool, yeah, mm -hmm. in the subcutaneous tissues. All right, so today we're going to approach this one a little bit different than we have some previous episodes. So we're just going to go into some uh, different patient scenarios. We're going to have four of them we're going to talk about. And then at the end of it, we'll have some just general takeaways for abdominal trauma. Uh, we're going to start off with a 18 year old male. Uh, you show up on scene after it's been secured. He's got uh, the handle of a knife just sticking out of the right flank. There's also two other about one inch lacerations nearby again in the right flank. So knowing the location of this injury, what are we thinking about is damaged beneath? So that right flank, that's a pretty uh, high value territory right there. If you think about it, um, the liver is really close to your lungs. So you know you have your liver on the right side, but if it's in the flank, you also have your kidney back there. So you need to think about potential kidney injury, potential liver injury. Both of those are solid organs that can bleed 
a lot. Um, but I'd also consider the lung there too, because sometimes, especially in the posterior aspect, the lungs can come farther down into the back than you would anticipate. Okay, so it's going to be, you know, rather than a kind of a broad uh, description of the right flank, maybe, you know, if you actually can see a picture of it or once you're on scene and see it, knowing that specific location should clue you in a little bit more to the injury? Yeah, it's always important to think about the underlying anatomy. The other thing is with um, objects that are embedded, a lot of times, especially like with a knife or maybe a pole or whatever, whatever the case may be, it's important not to remove those because there's a chance that that's tamponading whatever is bleeding. And if you pull it out, they're going to bleed even more internally, which will have no ability to control in the field. Okay. So. One of the things we talked about, we brought up uh, during our chest trauma, one of the things that I learned in the military was if you had any penetrating injury above the belly button, they wanted us to do an inclusive dressing on that. Now, do you think that's overkill and maybe they're kind of like teaching to the lowest common uh, denominator or is that something that, that you agree with also? I think there could be some wisdom in that. I would leave it to provider discretion. If it's clearly like epigastric, you know, right in the middle uh, anterior aspect of the abdomen, I probably wouldn't because that's likely going to be abdominal. But on that, the flank or on the posterior aspect um, or even on the side, absolutely. Because like we mentioned, the lungs, the lungs come down farther than you think outside of the chest. And if you suspect a sucking chest wound, um, I don't think it would be wrong. Okay. All right. So we'll move on to... Uh, and we're going to get into like the further treatment of all these patients, but just some uh, initial considerations. So now we're going to go to a 35-year-old male. He was on a motorcycle and uh, had a crash going about 40 miles an hour, and he ended up with a straddle injury. Now, that's not a term that I've ever heard before, so can you talk about the straddle injury for us and, and what it's going to do to the patient, what we're going to see? Yeah, so this is actually a fairly common injury pattern that you see in motorcycle crashes. Um, just by virtue of the way the patient is sitting on the motorcycle, it lends itself to pretty terrible pelvic trauma. And usually this will be in males just because that's the higher proportion of people that ride motorcycles, but it can happen in females as well, depending on the angle and the, the force of the impact. Basically, the motorcycle body gets forced into the pelvis and can cause some really bad fractures, as well as underlying anatomical destruction. Right. So some of the other considerations that probably we don't see a ton, but you mentioned that there could be some uh, damage to the genitals, the urethral injuries. Yeah, so it, these patients especially, it's going to be very important. Don't get distracted by femur fractures because frequently they have femur fractures as well, but it's important to evaluate that pelvis um, exposure patient, especially with males. Their urethra is longer than females, and they can have pretty significant uh, genitourinary trauma as well with the straddle injury. So things to look for that the hospital is absolutely going to look for is blood at the urethral meatus, uh, scrotal hematoma, 
And then it's also important to, to lift the scrotum and examine the pelvis very carefully because frequently, based on the way that the impact occurred, the, when the pelvis breaks, it can cause an open fracture. And so you can have underlying lacerations as well in the groin. Okay, and these can be hidden sometimes if you're not exposing the patient all the way or not lifting and looking in you need, everywhere. You need to look everywhere. And, and if you see a fracture that that's, that's that bad, um, you know, keep in mind the use of a pelvic binder too if you have an unstable patient. Okay, so these straddle injuries, you can have pelvic fracture, femur fractures, as well as the uh, injury to the genitals that you're talking about. Okay, um, we're gonna move on. We're gonna talk about an eight-year-old female. She was just riding her bike um, with her parents out there. She hit a curb and the parents said the, the handlebars kind of twisted and hit her right in the, the middle of the abdomen. Now she's complaining of pain there. So what's going on with that mechanism? Yeah, pediatric abdominal trauma shouldn't be taken lightly because this is, on the surface, it seems like a pretty benign injury, right? Um, an eight-year-old riding her bike, simply just a handlebar injury. But pediatrics are especially prone to underlying abdominal trauma because they have such, in general, have such thin abdominal walls and their bones aren't as prone to breaking. They're more pliable, which leads them to being a little bit more vulnerable to underlying soft tissue damage. So one of the common things you'll see anytime a pediatric patient is hit across the abdomen, whether they fall onto the monkey bars or a wall or handlebar injury is very common. They can injure either, usually it's the pancreas or their duodenum. Because they're so thin, the pancreas sits right over the vertebral bodies of the backbone. And the way that the abdomen compresses with any sort of trauma kind of bends or breaks the pancreas or the duodenum over the backbone there and can lead to leakage of abdominal contents that cause a lot of pain. So anytime you have a, a, a pediatric patient with a decent mechanism for abdominal trauma and they're very tender, you need to have a high degree of suspicion for underlying organ injury. Okay. And you, you brought up a, uh, another patient that still would technically fall under the trauma category. You said you had a 65-year-old male one time come into the ER um, with an evisceration post-op. So, you know, it's not the uh, trauma that just happened, but this would still be traumatic uh, evisceration. Yeah, this poor guy, um, he had just had bladder surgery for a cancer that he had. And uh, he was recovering fine at home and had a coughing spell and all of his stitches burst open. And then next thing he knew, like all of his bowels had come out of his incision site. And so this isn't that different, although it was a medical thing, this isn't that different than if somebody had their bowels coming out after a stab wound or a chainsaw injury or whatever, it's all managed the same. Um, the bowels, the best thing we can do is not try to put them back in just keep them, cover them in like a moist dressing. Try to keep them as sterile as possible. Cover it and then not make it worse and then just get them back to the hospital. Okay. And let's see, speaking about abdominal trauma, I wanted to bring up, uh, say a pregnant woman. So you've got to say she's 
24-year-old female. She's 30 weeks pregnant, and she was in a... She was in like a... They rear-ended somebody on the freeway going about... You know, they said they slowed down to like 45 by the time they actually impacted. Just traffic backed up, and and she was in the passenger seat, and, um, you know, kind of not too severe damage to the cars. Yeah, so... Um this is a good one. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, during pregnancy, any kind of trauma to the abdomen in a pregnant female that's pretty gravid, like past 20 weeks, is highly susceptible to placental abruption. And that's where kind of a shearing force or any kind of trauma to the abdomen can cause blood to pool between the placenta and the uterus. And essentially, the mother can bleed a significant amount, but it also cuts off blood flow to the fetus. And so there's a high degree, even with moderate trauma, there's up to like a 60% mortality rate for a fetus that's experienced placental abruption. And usually this will present with uh, a mother with abdominal pain who experienced some trauma. And it can present up to 48 hours after the trauma. So say a lady fell down the stairs two days ago and you're evaluating her, now she's got some pretty significant abdominal pain that maybe radiates to the back. Um, have a high degree of suspicion for abruption. And then I would think that we're gonna wanna try to be as persuasive as possible if we're on the side of the freeway and she's not wanting to go in, say she doesn't have that initial pain, we should just bring this up to her and let her know that the, the risk is, is pretty high here. High to her and also most importantly to the, to the baby. Um, but we monitor those, those ladies after trauma, they'll get admitted and monitored for at least 24 hours because that abruption can develop slowly over time until it becomes life-threatening. So, um, and then what's the deal with the, uh, with the treatment for these pregnant women over 20 weeks? Are they going straight to the L&D triage? Frequently what you'll see is if they experience a car wreck, they'll probably get evaluated in the emergency department for other trauma because they could still have head trauma or chest trauma or need other interventions from other specialists. But after that is kind of cleared, then they'll be um, strictly followed just by OB. Okay, so the mother is the first patient Mother's all first. the time, so no matter what, if she's got some kind of bad trauma, <clears throat> she'll get taken care of in the ER, and then, you know, say a situation like that, would the, would the OB docs come down to the ER to they help do. out? They do, yeah, they kind of do a simultaneous evaluation where as the trauma team and the ER staff are evaluating mom from head to toe, the OB team will be putting on the fetal monitors and making sure that the, the baby's okay. Okay. Importantly, when you're transporting these patients, um, realize that uh, maternal blood volume is gonna be up to 150% more than normal because she's having to supply blood to the fetus. And so she can lose a lot of blood because she has more blood to lose before she becomes unstable. Um, so pay attention to tachycardia and to pain because hypotension is gonna be a very, very late sign. The other thing is to remember just when you're transporting them to, to tilt her if you can, even if she's on a backboard or on the stretcher, to her left side so you don't compress the blood flow that's coming back to the heart. Okay. And with these abdominal trauma patients, I wanted to ask you about 
some C-spine considerations. So if we go back to our 18-year-old with the knife handle sticking out of the right flank, um, there were also two other lacerations, both in the right flank. Is this somebody that will have any kind of uh, spinal precautions that we need to worry about? Not that I would anticipate. If he hasn't had a concomitant head or neck injury and he's not tender in his spine, I wouldn't worry about um, putting a collar on him. It's probably going to make him more agitated than anything. Okay. And what about if it was a gunshot wound? I mean, that could be all kinds of angles. You, could, you know, if you got shot in the right flank, that could have passed, you know, over the spine possibly um yeah if if he's neurologically intact distally like can you wiggle your toes can you give me a thumbs up and you've done a good like secondary survey and haven't found any holes around the neck or anywhere else i think it's also fine to probably defer okay so with this penetrating trauma if it's the damage is either done or not done is that a good way to think about it Yes and no, because I've actually seen, I leave it up to, there's a lot to be said for provider discretion, because one time I had a patient come into recess that had been shot in the anterior neck, had a very tiny, very tiny hole in her neck. I almost didn't believe it was a gunshot wound until we got the x-ray and the bullet was lodged in her C-spine. And she had very minimal motor control over her bilateral hands. And the trauma surgeon came in and said, take good care of that neck. Do not let her move because if, if she had any sort of additional trauma to her spinal cord there, it would be the difference between her being able to use her hands and not, which really changes her quality of life, right? So if you have a gunshot wound up in the neck, I would, I would highly consider it. Um, as long as it's not gonna preclude your care, right? Like if you have an expanding hematoma or you need to manage the airway and you're not worried about a neurological injury. Um, but that's where provider judgment is just so important and you can't, you can't think of every possible scenario. Okay. But All right, a good, so. probably a good neuro exam would be your best bet. If they can move everything, feel everything, and they're not tender, then I would forego the collar. Okay, yeah, that's a good, good point that I'll remember. So just in general, we approach this one just a little bit different. So we're, we're talking about abdominal trauma. And you mentioned that there's so many organs going on that there can be massive hemorrhage. There's aorta, there's uh, inferior vena cava, there's all kinds of vessels. So, uh, and as we mentioned in our other podcasts, you can bleed out into your abdomen or pelvis. Yeah, that's definitely one of the five places to bleed to death. And it's one of the five that we have zero control over. Um, So that person, just do a quick assessment on scene if they're tender and they're looking like they're going into shock. Do your permissive hypotension and try to just get them to the hospital so the surgeon can fix whatever needs to be fixed. That said, though, um, the pelvis is kind of part of the abdomen, right? So if they have the right mechanism for it, make sure you're considering a pelvic binder if you think it'll help. All right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, so we learned a lot. And unfortunately, it doesn't sound like there's a ton that we can do for somebody, say, with a massive hemorrhage into their abdomen. But, you know, you can still be quick to load and go and just be suspicious of uh, and then, you know, just have everything in place. Make sure you got IVs in place if they are um, in shock and hypotensive, then we want to resuscitate only again to about 90 systolic um, for that.
blood pressure. So any closing thoughts on abdominal trauma, Doc? Um, I think that's it. Just do, do a good exam and um, remember your ABCs. All right. All right, everybody. This one's a little shorter than normal, but uh, keep it simple. All right. Thanks, Doc. And talk to everybody on the next episode.